it never goes away completely, right? Obviously, there's comfort uh, being that I've, I've been with the, the president for quite some time between, you know, roughly the five years I was with him before, then the campaign, and then, the you know, the three years that I was in a leadership position on PPD. I'm with him multiple times a week. Um, so there's a comfort there, but he's still the president, right? It's, it's, it's kind of, again, it's an ever-present thing that that's the commander-in-chief and the leader of the free world and and I don't think you ever lose that. And you shouldn't, really. I think it's important to kind of ha- keep that perspective of this is what we're doing and this is why we do it because of the, you know, the importance of, of that person's role. I'm talking to Deputy Assistant Director Daryl Vopicelli about something this agency never talks about, presidential protection. While he's an executive in our agency now, up until last month, DAD Vopicelli was the special agent in charge of the Presidential Protective Division. When you see photos of the president, the PPD sack is usually the agent beside him, more often than not just out of frame. As PPD sack, DAD Volpicelli was responsible for every facet of presidential protection. It's a position with a front seat to history, and we're talking to him about that today. This is a very cool episode, and I think you're going to enjoy it. I'm Abel Trevino, and you're listening to Standing Post. Welcome to the studio, sir. I know you and I have talked over email, but we actually haven't met until just now. So could you introduce yourself to both me and our audience? Sure, Abel. Uh, my name is Daryl Vopicelli. I am the Deputy Assistant Director of the Office of Intergovernmental and Legislative Affairs. Uh, newly appointed in that role. I've been there about a month. Uh, prior to that, I was especially in charge of the Presidential Protective Division. I've been with the agency for about 23 years. Uh, I was in the role of especially in charge uh, for about two years. And where did you go to school at, and how did you wind up coming to the Secret Service? So I went to Bucknell University uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, where I double majored in uh, political science and sociology. I was also the captain of the track and field team there. Um, it's kind of an interesting story how I ended up with the Secret Service. Don't come from a long line of uh, folks in law enforcement within my family. Uh, I was working in Atlanta at the time, uh, studying to go to law school, thinking I didn't actually attend law school, but you know, preparing for that. You know. The inspiration, I did have some interest in in federal law enforcement, FBI, Secret Service, but uh, the genesis of my exact interest in the the Secret Service was actually the Columbine shooting, uh, which is is unique. I think a lot of people, you know, see presidential protection and see that, and that's their aspiration. Uh, But, you know, the National Threat Assessment Center uh, did work after the Columbine shooting uh, with the exceptional case study. I, th- I found that very interesting. It's obviously really important work that, uh, you know, Dr. Althari and NTAC does to this day uh, in terms of, you know, minimizing and mitigating, uh, you know, mass violence. So that was, that, again, that was the genesis for, for me, uh, you know, applying to the Secret Service was what, what was done there. I thought it was really interesting work. Uh, I was fortunate to get on at a pretty young age, uh, started my career up in New York after that. Have you been able to work with the NTAC in some of the reports that they generate? That's that's the great irony is after 23 years, uh, even though there's the inspiration for you know, joining the Secret Service, I really haven't done anything with NTAC other than setting some things up when I was assigned to Miami and doing some of the larger uh, symposiums 
uh, in, in coordinating all that, but I hadn't really done much in NTAC in my career, nor have I done really any much in the, the protective intelligence realm, other than being, a, you know, a, you know, them providing me information uh, when I was in protective roles. So it's the kind of the great irony of what your inspiration is to how your career goes. It, it takes many turns. That's true. And I'm glad that you brought up like the protective mission and the protective intelligence that they do, because one of the reasons I wanted to bring you onto the show was you were the special agent in charge of PPD, which is for our agency and the type of type A personalities that come to it, everyone is kind of gunning for that ultimate position because you're really the guy who's right beside the president. You're, if there are photos of the president, you're definitely not far away from them. What's it like to have that kind of responsibility and to be selected for the pinnacle of the protective roles? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I've said this when I was, uh, when I was appointed. I said it's my workforce on PPD, and I'll say it to you now, if you would ask me three and a half years ago, would I be sitting at a podcast talking about my experiences, especially in charge? I would have kind of laughed at that. You know, I was in Miami at the time uh, when selected. I uh, thought I would, you know, compete for the SAC spot down there and finish my career uh, in Miami. Um, so when it came uh, post-campaign, I was honored. It's the honor of my career, one of the great honors of my life to, to, to be appointed uh, to that position and be asked uh, I initially started as a deputy special in charge of the president's detail, and then after one year became special in charge. I didn't come right into the role. Um, but even so, even as the deputy, you know, you're honored, you take it, obviously, uh, and then the gravity starts to kind of set in, right, uh, in terms of what it means to, to be in charge, right, the, you know, what mission failure can mean, not just to the agency, but obviously to the United States and all that comes with it, right? It's a zero-fail mission. Uh, as it pertains to all our protectees, but clearly as it pertains to the president and his family. So that gravity does sit in. Um, on a personal level, one of the things that did affect me is, you know, I was the 37th special aid in charge. Uh, there are 36 people that came before me. And, you know, with that, they've all left kind of an indelible mark uh, in their time. And, you know, with that, you know, I really, you know, had a lot of pride to kind of protect that legacy and, and try to continue that kind of excellence. Now that you've been in that role, what do you think the mark that you made on it was? It's a good question. Um, you know, I'd hope the workforce feels that, uh, you know, um, I supported them. Uh, it's, it's challenging role. It's a challenging environment uh, on the president's detail. Uh, and with that, I certainly worked uh, hard uh, to, one, kind of give them a, as much of a quality of life balance as I could. Uh, certainly supported them as it uh, pertained to career development, whether it's promotion or just non-supervisory assignments, uh, you know, moving off the detail that it's, you know, one of the things I, I take great pride in is those uh, that are, you know, willing to step up and do those assignments that we support them on the back end. In terms of a historical significance, I'll let other people be the judge of, of, of what that means in terms of down the road. Uh, but I was honored to, to do, do the assignment for about two years. As someone who's championed career progression, can we um, just take a step back and talk about maybe some of your early years and what led you down the path to becoming the SAC for PPD? Sure, sure. So I started my career in the New York field office uh, where I um, you know, worked, uh, you know, in my phase one of my career. So worked counterfeit cases, worked credit card cases, did uh, a couple of years in our technical operations squad. So doing technical security work, both investigatively and protection as it pertains to you know, bomb sweeps, Cambio um, type hazards. Uh, from there, uh, moved on to D.C., transferred into D.C., spent a short time in our Dignitary Protection Division with uh, Secretary Chertoff when he was Secretary of Homeland Security. From there, moved on to the Vice President's Detail, where I did about five and a half years. With, uh, with, uh, started under uh, 
Vice President Cheney and then transitioned over to Vice President Biden uh, with, uh, with their election in 2008. Um, and from there, uh, moved over to our criminal investigative division uh, for a short time uh, in the special projects section, uh, then got promoted uh, to my first supervisory assignment as the assistant to the specialist in charge of, within our aerospace security program where I really specialized in the, the, the counter drone program. It was kind of the infancy of that threat really manifesting itself. Uh, here in the U.S., we had a drone, you know, fall into a tree uh, on the White House property. It did get a lot of international coverage uh, within the media. So i working with Technical Security Division, Department of Defense, and others really kind of walking that path in terms of countermeasures development. And, um, you know, kind of at the forefront of that, pretty proud of the work we did collectively on that. Uh, from there, I went over as the ASEC's assistant special agent in charge of the Office of Protective Operations, uh, working for the assistant director. Uh, I, 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 I kind of carried that counter drone work with me for another couple of years, uh, worked on the White House fence redesign, um, the special projects section, somewhat of a catch-all, uh, ranging from correspondence and res responding to congressional inquiry uh, to kind of programmatic management of um, various technical enhancements around the White House. So that's what I did there. Uh, two years later, then promoted um, to GS-15 inspector within the inspection division, where I then handled both compliance matters and then obviously integrity, internal affairs type matters. Did that about a year and then was promoted to the deputy specialist in charge of the Miami field office, uh, where I thought, again, I'd finished my career. I thought, you know, the hope was to compete for the specialist in charge position at some point. Um, then at some point during prior to campaign, I was asked to help run uh, then candidate Biden's campaign team um, and obviously post-election as he won. And then uh, I was asked to then come up as a member of PPD. So that's kind of my, my path to, uh, to PPD. How do you think both being part of the investigative side and the protective side, how do they augment each other? They definitely complement each other. Uh, it's really important to be able to start in that investigative role in a field office somewhere to kind of hone those skills. A, a big part of protection, again, that's, I'll talk to that, is being able to talk to people, being able to diplomatically work through problems. Those are things you, that you can hone in investigations, whether it's interviewing a suspect um, or interviewing a corroborating witness. These are things that not everybody wants to kind of cooperate in those, those environments. And working through the and having some of that kind of oral communication skills is huge uh, as it pertains to protection. Um, and then, you know, obviously some of the maturity that comes with just a couple, several years in law enforcement. And then before you transition over to a, a permanent protective role. Um, so they, they certainly complement each other. Um, it, it would be a challenge to, to come right into this agency um, and go right into protection. That really does highlight that. For someone operating at your level, there are a considerable number of skills that they pick up along the way, and they carry those skills from position to position to position. And when you're in the position of protecting the president, you have all those skills with you. What, what can you share with our listeners about that particular role? So I think what's unique about the role is um, PPD um, is, is one of the largest workforces in the agency. It's the largest special agent workforce within the entire Secret Service. So it's a large workforce. Uh, with that, so I have all the executive responsibilities of strategy, um, personnel matters, administrative matters, budgeting. We have a large budget. All of those things kind of fall under my, you know, my area of responsibility. But then I have an operational responsibility. So I travel with the president. So it takes me away. So it's unique in that 
even as an executive, I'm not behind a desk all the time. There are times where I am, but I am away for extended periods. So managing all those roles, those roles and responsibilities don't go away just because the president's traveling out of the country for a week or 10 days, I take it with me. So time management is definitely one of the keys uh, to sex, success of the, uh, of the position. Um, but, you know, in terms of some of those intangible skills, I think the time management is definitely one of them. Um, you know, crisis management is definitely going to be one of those things. Uh, you know, much that happens uh, raises to at least some level of crisis, some bigger than others. Uh, many things that happen within the you know, PPD, it's public facing, right? So many of those things will end up in the media um, and many of them will end up in international news. And I, you know, did deal with some of those matters. So, you know, balancing that is one of the things that's is definitely critical. Talking within the confines of OPSEC, because a lot of what you do is definitely, you know, you're protecting one of the most important, if not the most important person on the planet. And with that comes a lot of operational security that you have to be mindful of. But you're also protecting dignitaries and protecting the president is a very exclusive occupation. Is there anything people would be surprised to learn about that? So I think the thing that would surprise people most about my role is people see, you know, me on the news or saw me on the news when I was there getting off Air Force One, riding in the presidential limo, flying on Marine One, and they think about the pageantry that goes into that. An estimation here, I would say that's 20% of my, 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 my life, my existence. The other 80% is dealing with challenges uh, behind the scenes, right? You know, working security uh, plans for the next trip. Because, you know, even though you're on one trip, but you might have another trip the next day. So, um, so, so my role is much more behind the scenes than many people think. It's not all just flying on Air Force One. But I'm glad you mentioned Air Force One because, I mean, as someone who's never been on Air Force One, that does sound really cool. What are some of the other, like, cool things that you've done or any memorable moments you've had in the agency? I, I would say, in, as it pertains to my role in PPD, um, you know, a couple of things that, that certainly stick out um, in terms of travel would be um, traveling with President Biden to Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, I don't remember the month, but it was in 2021 for a summit with Vladimir Putin, just a, a bilateral summit, just the two of them. Uh, very unique. Obviously, the last time the two had met face to face, and then obviously we are now in the Ukraine conflict. I can't imagine a scenario where the president of the United States and, and President Putin are going to be meeting face to face anytime soon. So. There was a historic value to that. Very interesting to be part of that. Um, Queen Elizabeth's funeral certainly was a highlight there. Um, you know, I, I admittedly, I can't say that I, you know, I follow, follow the royals that closely, but I, but I do truly respect, you know, what Queen, Queen Elizabeth did in power for 70 years and the way she kind of you know, upheld that and represented um, the UK. So to be part of that was, was one of those moments that was somewhat surreal particularly at the funeral itself in Westminster Abbey, thousands of people inside uh, the Abbey. But uh, with that, I would say just an estimation, probably five Americans in, in, inside to include the president, first lady, Meghan Markle, uh, the site agent, and myself probably would have been it. So, so that was one of those main moments of like, wow, can't, can't really believe that I'm here right now. Um, and then the last thing would be, you know, the, the trip to Ukraine, the president's secretive trip to Ukraine. And that's an interesting trip because it had never been done before and it was done on a train. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I'm going to be a little vague in, in the response. Much of how we conducted that trip are still in, in the classified you know, kind of realm. What I can say, though, is, you know, it was a challenge from, from, from the get-go. You know, when we, the agency's been doing war zone trips since the post-9-11 
days, right? George Bush did the first trip to Baghdad secretively, and we kind of came up with a formula. It is very dangerous. I'm not uh, minimizing what those trips were. There's a high level of risk in all of them, and secrecy is, is the key. But with those roles, with those trips, you're relying on U.S. forces. It's, it's our conflict. Um, we control the battle space to a certain extent, and we certainly control the skies in those both Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, Ukraine was a totally different scenario in the sense that uh, we don't control that space. It is not our conflict. We don't have U.S. forces. Um, so right away is how do we maintain secrecy? How do we do this when we don't have our normal trusted partners in doing that? So and how we did that, unfortunately, I'm going to kind of have to leave some of those details out. But I will say, you know, right away, the, the first glaring thing for us is how do we get the president there, right? We, we could not fly for a variety of reasons uh, as it pertains to threats. You just, you just couldn't fly in there. So uh, previous uh, protectees, the secretary of state had taken the train. So we had some kind of anecdotal, you know, stories on, on and, and, you know, on how that could work. Um, but in, of all the ways I'd transport the president, train would rank pretty low, frankly. Um, but we were relegated to that as, as really our only option. So it was a challenge is, is, a, is a significant understatement to do that. It, it, it's the hardest thing that I've been part of um, as it pertains to protection. Um, probably, you know, arguably one of the more complicated things we've done historically as it pertains to the president and, mo and moving him with all that needed to be done in the secrecy of the way we do it in the train. So, you know, it was it is public knowledge. It was a 10 hour train ride in and almost 10 hours on the way out. So very long time, long duration on that train. And I can only imagine how stressful that is when your job is to protect somebody on a 10 hour train ride. It was right. Uh, there's, you know, even though it was overnight, there wasn't much sleep uh, going on by anybody uh, in that. So, you know, I, I got to say, I've never been so proud of, uh, of my workforce and our support entities uh, and how we pulled that off. Uh, it, we, you know, the planning that went into it was, was elongated and it was very uh, intense uh, and how that all played out. But then the execution by our teams and our people and the people that went, some, some more people that were in country to receive us, just the resourcefulness and, and what they did was, was truly amazing. And I think you're really touching up because you mentioned this a lot. One of the key elements of your job is travel. And that certainly can wreak havoc with your work-life balance. Did you, were you able to find a balance for that? So it, it is a challenge. Um, I, my goal was always, I said earlier, was to try to find some, uh, you know, work-life balance for my employees. The reality of the role, especially in charge of PPD, is difficult. Um, you're somewhat at the beck and call of, of, of the staff and things that happen. And, and when that phone rings, you know, it could be the director of the Secret Service, it could be the assistant director, it could be senior staff, it could be the president himself. So there's not a lot of letting it roll to voicemail, right? So that, you're, you're never really off duty with that. So, you know, did my best. I have a very understanding family uh, with that. Um, but it is difficult to find that perfect balance. And, and that's one, frankly, one reason you don't, you don't see especially in charge spend 10 years. It has happened historically a long time ago. I don't know how they did it. Kudos to them for being able to pull that off. But in, in modern history, it's, it's, it's a shorter duration. Usually 18 months to three years is what you've probably seen in the last 25 years has is, is, is been more the standard on that. You know, five, 10 years just really isn't there. There may be those superstars and superheroes that can pull that off, but it, but it is difficult. And admittedly, it is hard to find that because you, you're just never really off duty. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you pick up the phone and it could be the president on the phone. I mean, you've worked VPD, you've worked PPD, you are shoulder to shoulder with 
the most powerful person in America. What are your conversations like with them? So, you know, I can't get really too much into what we would talk about, right? Uh, majority of our time, it would be professional. I may be briefing him on something as it pertains to a given trip, right? It would be, you know, protests or, you know, a flow of how things are going to go that day. Uh, it, it can delve into obviously personal conversations. We've known each other for a long time. I'll reserve to, you know, to have those conversations between myself and the president. Um, but, you know, I do serve as kind of the primary uh, spokesperson, uh, that one voice policy uh, for the division and somewhat for the agency in, in, in some regard day to day as it pertains to the president. I'm going to be honest. I was actually really excited about this interview because we I've interviewed quite a few people. And in the history of 20 years of interviewing people, I've interviewed hundreds, if not thousands. And the one thing that really excited me about this interview is you really did have a front seat to history. You were basically riding shotgun with the president for years. Do you ever just reflect on the gravitas of some of what you've done in life? So admittedly, I, I didn't do it as much as I should have. I, I think one of the challenges, again, the churn and the operational tempo of what we're doing, it just continues to come fast and furious. So it is hard to reflect in that moment, at least for me. Um, but now that I've been away from it, even for one month, there's a little bit, I'm in that nostalgic period right now. Right. So <laughs> I do look back and I do truly appreciate and honored that I, I have been able to be part of these things. And again, I talked about the queen's funeral and, and some of these other events and it, I, look, I'm a small town, uh, boy. I, I grew up in a, in a very small town of a couple thousand people in central New York. Uh, so to be able to be, you know, to come from that and then be provided this opportunity to kind of live alongside, you know, somewhat in a backseat, but I'm, but I'm there seeing it. Um, it's, it's, it's an honor. Right. And I think as, as, as time progresses, I think I'll appreciate it even more. You know, I've, I've got a lot of pictures and a lot of things have been provided to me to, to kind of stoke those, those remembrances. Um, but, uh, but admittedly, I probably should have appreciated it a little more as I was going, but again, that pace just gets to you and you, you a lot of, a lot of challenges. You just got to keep adapting to the situation. So it's hard to kind of, you know, sit back on your laurels at the, at the moment. In the spirit of reflecting back on it, a lot of what you're talking about, I just cannot even comprehend the immense amount of stress that that position has. What, what was the most challenging part of that role and how do you deal with that level of stress? It is difficult. Uh, I had your hair before I entered the parole, I swear. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it can be a challenge. Uh, you know, I, you learn to somewhat kind of sleep with, uh, you know, maybe one eye or one ear open because you always expect those phone calls to come overnight. And that that is a reality. And many times they do. Um, you manage it uh, the best you can. Um, you try to, when you can, spend good quality time away. But but the consequences of, of failure loom large and they're, they're, they're ever present in the role. So that that is something that, uh, you know, you just have to deal with. Um, in terms of, you know, the significant challenge, I think that we deal with um, as a SAC of PPD, I think that the biggest challenge will always be, I'll say we, we have a wonderful relationship uh, with, with the Biden administration, uh, you know, previous administrations. Um, but one of the things that, that, that is a challenge is um, any given administration, Republic, Democrat alike, their, their job is to create an agenda and then, then go amplify that agenda and, and, Tout, tout their successes and get out there uh, and, you know, obviously engage with the public, right? Secret Service is coming at it from the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, we prefer to just keep him at the White House. He's safest, right? Easy. That's obviously not realistic, right? So somehow we have to come and meet in the middle on that. Um, you know, I have policies. I have left and right limits that I have to stay within. But within those, 
those confines, um, there there's a lot of diplomacy and, and do that. And that and that's a challenge. And again, it's it, it's every administration. And again, I, you know, have really wonderful friends there. And uh, you know, we have some of those spirited debates on how we we administer our roles. But you know, we have to meet together. They've got a responsibility, and it's critically important, obviously, for every administration to tout their successes. We need to keep him safe. Um, so we meet on that. So I, I think that's always one of the challenge, biggest challenges of the role is how we do that successfully where we both uh, are, succeed in our missions. And when it comes to safety, I mean, there's definitely got to be, as you said, a level of compromise. What would you consider or has there ever been a time that you just felt unsafe or you were in a dangerous location that you had to take a pause? So, I mean, we've already talked about Ukraine, obviously lots of concerns. Uh, it's, it's pretty well done. There, there are, you know, a lot of trips, particularly as we go you know, overseas where you have an elevated threat level, uh, our protective intelligence and assessment division does an amazing job giving us both classified and unclassified intelligence to give us the situational awareness on the ground. Uh, from that, you know, we, we make assessments um, on those things, but, you know, we we're very fortunate that you know, I always felt like in my time there, we, we were, you know, within those kind of, you know, safety confines, we, we may, you know, alter schedule slightly or, you know, things like that, but we didn't have to necessarily come off schedule considerably or cancel an event based on that. A lot of what you're talking about, I mean, we're talking about stress. We're talking about responsibility. We're talking about danger. And PPD, especially that particular role, you're exposed to all of those. When you look back on it, that's probably like the negative part of PPD. Is there anything that you miss about PPD? Oh, there's, there's a lot I miss, um, you know, really camaraderie, right? There's something about being on protective details, VPD, PPD, all of the protective details. Um, you're, you're just in it together, right? It can be challenging, but you, you, you go through that the commiseration and everything else that goes with that. It, it builds a lot of camaraderie. So I'll miss that. Uh, I, speaking personally, I, I do miss uh, some of that identity of mission, um, right? We, we in the Secret Service, we have an identity no matter what role you're in, investigative protection, we all identify and we take great pride in that. Speaking for me, when when I've been assigned to protective divisions, it just amplifies that and just that adherence to mission. Um, so I, I will miss some of those things um, as it pertains to you know the new role. I know you're an executive now, and I really do appreciate you carving out time to come down here. Is there anything, do you have any parting messages for our listeners? Anything you'd like to say? Well, I would say if there's any listeners that, uh, you know, are considering um, careers in law enforcement, um, I would I would highly implore people to to give us, uh, you know, a look, you know, do a little research. I, I think that uh, what the Secret Service can offer is really just an amazing experience. Uh, you know, again, coming coming from a small town, I've traveled to over 60 uh, countries in my career um, and, be, again, been part of some historic events. And, and it's really just been an amazing experience that I couldn't have ever imagined in my wildest dreams. Um, there are challenges. There are sacrifices. You know, you'll miss you'll miss some holidays. You'll miss some birthdays. Uh, and I'm not uh, downplaying the significance of that, but I do think at the kind of towards the the latter stages of my career, I think that the you know the pluses and the things that I've been able to experience certainly outweigh those sacrifices that happen. So if you're if you're interested in, in a career in service and you've got a little bit of an adventurous spirit as it pertains to travel. I don't think there's, I can't think of many careers that would, uh, you know, outpace the Secret Service. Well, I think that's very wise words. So thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Abel. Appreciate it.
A big thanks to DAD Volpicelli for sitting down with us. I took up a lot more time than I thought, but I appreciate you being a good sport. Thanks for sharing your stories and thoughts. Everyone on the team had a lot of fun on this episode. For our listeners, I'm sorry we couldn't get all of the stories in this episode, but some of them are a bit sensitive. If you want to make your own interesting stories, you're going to have to join the agency. Start your Secret Service journey at secretservice.gov or usajobs.gov. For Standing Post and the United States Secret Service, I'm Abel Trevino. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay vigilant. Chris, if I'd given you a mug for this, I would take it back.